and they want to be part of that. They want to join with God in his mission. And uh, we started to do that by creating a place. At the, we met last year, was it, with some of the founding members? Uh, starting to create a place where uh, people from any walk of faith, no matter what you thought or what your life was like, could find a home here and belong. And so we began gathering people who were from all different walks, all different spaces, and this became kind of a hospitable place for those people. And uh, we did lots of things to gather people and gather people. And after a while, we started getting really good at gathering people, and we realized, and we started asking ourselves, how are people's lives actually changing? Beyond people actually coming to a space and a place, our leadership began to wonder, is anyone's life actually becoming more like the life of Jesus? Which is a really great question to ask each of us. How are, we, are our lives, despite our church attendance or our associations, are our own lives becoming more or less like the life of Jesus? And that's really the question of discipleship. And we realized that we didn't really know how to intentionally disciple each other. And we realized we had to learn that. So we went on a journey about 10 years ago, 7 years ago, somewhere around there, of trying to figure this out. And as we were doing that, um, we reprioritized discipleship. And when we did that, um, at that point, there were a lot of people coming to Victory Point on a weekend. And we started seeing fewer and fewer and fewer people coming because we began to prioritize uh, learning how to do discipleship, which is not quite as flashy as anything else you could do. And um, that was a loss for us, because we were, we were on this journey of trying to figure this out, and we didn't know how to do it, honestly, and we probably did a poor job of it all along the way, trying to figure out this out. But this is kind of our central question, and part of the mission statement of Victory Point, to make and multiply disciples. So I'll just put this up for us. Last week, Matt talked about our vision to bring the kingdom of God to our family, our community, and the world. And then our mission statement basically answers, how do we do that? Our mission is to make and multiply disciples who give their whole life to being like Jesus and doing what he did. That's our mission. That's how we want to engage the kingdom of God, is through discipleship. And that phrase, to make and multiply disciples, largely comes from the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And so this morning, I want to dive into that passage and explore, because I think for a long time, I really misunderstood this passage, and I want to just take a closer look at it, because I think it has a lot to say to us about what discipleship really is. So would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness. Jesus, thank you that you came and you did not leave us alone that you sent your spirit to your church, and year after year, your gospel has spread throughout the whole world, so that now here we are in this room, ready to hear it again, the good news of how you have saved the world, have saved us, have freed us from the power of guilt and shame and sin, and set us free into the kingdom of light and love and justice and righteousness, the kingdom that you're bringing to the world. And we want to be part of that. Open our eyes to your scripture. May it be inspired, uh, not just having been written inspired, but also may it be inspired in the way that we read it. May we hear your words and may it penetrate our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible with you, why don't you open up to Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. Otherwise, I will have it on the screen. That's how it goes. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Before Jesus makes a call to go disciple all nations, he says this interesting phrase, which is on the previous screen. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That, kind of, that was one of the first things I was curious about this passage. Like, given to you? John says that Jesus is the word of God. He is one with God. As in, he was there with God in the very beginning, and he had all authority and power. So why did Jesus say that it was given to him? If you look in Philippians 2, it talks about how Jesus left that authority and power. He gave it up. He emptied himself. He emptied himself through discipleship. We see in the beginning of Mark, Jesus comes onto the scene. It's the first moment of his ministry, and he says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the kingdom of God has come. Jesus is saying, God is trying to get our attention. The kingdom of God is breaking through into the world. And what do we do about it? We listen. We turn. Repent. It means turn back to God and go, okay, God, what are you saying? What are you saying? And then we, we begin to change our lives. We don't just change our minds. We also change our lives. We say, okay, if this is what God is saying to me, this is how I'm going to respond. So Jesus is setting the stage right away to say, I'm about creating disciples. And the word disciple here means, is actually the Greek uh, methetes, which means learner. It's where we get the word math, methetes, math. It means I want to create learners. So when he says in, in the beginning of Mark, uh, the kingdom of God has come, repent and believe, he's setting up this learning uh, this learning habit of disciples saying, I want you to be people who don't just pass through life, who don't just uh, kind of like Paul says, look in a mirror and then walk away and forget what you look like. This ignorant life of walking through and just kind of going through the motions. I want you guys to be paying attention to what God is doing on the ground and changing your mind, listening to God, and then beginning to act differently. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's kind of our church's working definition of what a disciple is. Disciple is basically a learner. And so Jesus is creating these people who are learners, people who are learning the life of Jesus. They are learning of the kingdom of God and how to shape their lives into it. And so you see Jesus constantly investing in these 12 people. He's particularly called out, 12 people. And this is Jesus' mission. He wants to invest his whole life into these people and make them disciples. And so he didn't just let them sit on the sidelines. He doesn't just let them come and watch he also begins to include them in his ministry. So you see at the feeding of the 5,000, they say, Jesus, aren't you going to feed these people? And he says, you give them something to eat, right? He begins to include them in the process of learning how to be like Jesus and do the things he did, just like our mission statement says. And he goes on and on through ministry, constantly giving power and authority out from himself to his disciples so that by the, towards the end of the story, you see that they're the ones casting out demons. They're the ones going to visit the sick. They're the ones who are... Um, sent out into the communities where Jesus is about to go to kind of prepare the way for him. So the disciples begin to inherit more and more of Jesus' authority and power to the point where at John 15, 15, it's like the night before he's about to be betrayed and he's about to be crucified. And this is the culmination, his kind of goodbye speech. And he says, John 15, 15, he says, everything that the Father has taught me, I have now taught you. You've become my learners. As uh, a Jedi would say, the ser- the 
the, what is it? The servant has become the master. The student has become the master. He's basically passed off all his power and authority onto them. And then one of them betrays him. These people who he's just invested his whole life, one of them walks away and betrays him to crucifixion. Another one, one of his most committed disciples, denies him, denies he ever knew him. And all the disciples scatter. And Jesus is crucified. And then Jesus meets back up with them after his resurrection. And it says, 11 are gathered. 11! That's it. We're talking about the best disciple maker in the history of the universe. Jesus himself has 11. 11 disciples. That's it. And it says, they worshiped him. What does it say next? Can you guys say that? But some doubted. They worship him some doubt. So I'm just imagining 11 guys standing around, half of them with their heads hung low. They're standing in front of the risen Jesus. They've had three years in front of him. And I kind of go like, you're doubting? Like, I wish that I could stand in front of Jesus. Wouldn't that confirm all of the doubts that I would have? These guys are at the brink of all kinds of self-doubt and discouragement. And they're probably having a hard time believing what they even see. They've never seen anything like this. They're probably pinching themselves going, what is going on? We've been through all kinds of crazy things in the last few days. What is going on? And they're probably also listening to the words of Jesus as he's talking to them. And he's saying, uh, go and make disciples of all nations. (laughs) To these 11 sad, sorry bunch, they're probably like, us? Me? I, I don't even believe that I'm standing here right now. And you think that I'm going to make you discipled us for three years, and you've only got 11, and you don't want us to make disciples of all nations? Have you ever felt like that? It says they worshipped him, but some doubted. I think some doubted that he was actually resurrected. But I think also some doubted that what he was saying. Really, me? That, that can't be me. You've got to be talking to somebody else. This can't be it. This can't be your plan to disciple all nations is this sad group of people. I was uh, raised in the church. My dad's a pastor. And so I was around the life of church uh, since I was a little kid. And it got me, gave me a really interesting perspective on church um, because I was surrounded with all kinds of people who believed in Jesus. I uh, regularly went to church and worshiped. And I was part of all the youth groups and mission trips, and I had an amazing childhood. I loved it. Um, I looked up to my dad as a pastor. When I was in high school, I began to kind of read the Bible for myself. You know how, uh, you know, maybe if you've grown up in the church, maybe you have had the experience of, you know, I, I'm going to read this because it's what we're doing in youth group or it's part of the Bible study we're doing. And then in high school, I started to kind of read through some of the Bible myself, and I read some passages that I never really read before. And I started asking questions I never asked before, like, the disciples are doing all these things. I've never seen anyone do those things. Jesus is calling, you know, the disciples an acts to, to heal people, to, to witness to him, to preach the gospel, to make disciples. I don't know if I've ever really seen that. I don't know if that's ever been part of my life. I don't, I don't know if I'm really living the full life that Jesus intended for me. And I started to wonder, am I really a disciple of Jesus? And if so, how do I become one? I began to feel like someone's got to disciple me. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing here. I wish someone would show me how to do this. 
And this question was kind of stirring me for years. And I went to one of my mentors uh, at the time, and I was really tied up about this. Like, I know the church is broken, and we need to be able to make disciples. We need to be able to pass on the life of Christ so that people's lives are actually transformed. That's part of the thing that we're working with as a church. How do we do this? But I didn't know how to do that. (laughs) And so I went to my mentor, and I was like, I shared with him what was on my heart. And he's like, you've never been discipled by anybody? like, no, I've never been discipled by anybody. I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, Brendan, name one person who's discipled you. And I was just blank, blank. You know, I I was like grasping for things. And the first person I thought of, I was like, uh, Matt Kroger, maybe? He was like my junior high leader. I guess he's the closest person I could think of, of someone who's discipled me. He's like, tell me about Matt. I was like, well, he took like six of us and uh, like every week we would read the Bible and he would ask us how it impacted our lives and we would talk about it and then he'd drive us to school and, and he was in our lives. Like I got to see him. So I guess that's the closest person that I could say has discipled me. He's like, name another. Okay, uh, Raleigh Grable, my children's you know, children's ministry leader when I was a kid. Maybe I, he passed on scripture stories, taught me the basic stories of the Bible and told it how it impacted his life. He's like, name another. And for an hour, he made me list, and I had just a list. I'm, I've, got a, I've got someone right here, Josh Kirkhoff, who, who gave me my first experiences in leadership and taught me that the kingdom of God is coming to the world and I can be a disciple. Uh, Dave Ricketts, who gave me the first opportunity to be a worship leader and walk me through that of what it means to lead like Jesus. Um, Todd Dampasinskis, who showed me what it looks like to be a husband and a father who loves Jesus. Um, my mom, I started thinking about, wait, my mom, my dad, like, of course, like my mom would have women over from, from church and, and disciple them. And I got to see that firsthand and feed off of that. My dad, who besides being a pastor, um, is a man who lives with integrity in his faith. Um, my grandparents on both sides who taught me how to rely on the Holy Spirit and to, and to spend time in prayer. Um, Dave Pearson, who led a small church, and he invited me into this space of leadership of relying on the Holy Spirit and even when things don't look like they're going to turn out. Um, Paula Taylor, who walked Rachel and I through our, our engagement and, and helped us listen to God as we were becoming one in marriage. Um, I think of Marin Scott Roberts, who taught me how to worship and how to listen to God. And I had this list of people, and I realized at that moment, I have been discipled. <laughs> I've been discipled. And some of these people have discipled me in really intentional, organized ways, and other people have discipled me in really organic, unintentional ways that they probably had no idea that I was looking at them, and I was watching them, and I was listening to them, and I was... I was feeding off the life of Christ that was in them and wanting to be like them. And as they lived their lives around Jesus, as they sent their lives in love around Jesus, it rubbed off on me because they invited me into their life somehow, some way. And even since I've had that conversation with that man, with my mentor, um, I've continued to be discipled. I continue to be discipled. Um, Rachel, my wife, disciples me, and we disciple one another. Um, and she disciples other women in her life. 
Um, Steve Durr and Steve Thompson up at Watermark Church, they're still friends of ours, um, who welcomed me into the process of learning how to lead in a missional church, missional church setting. Steve Rustic is here, who uh, taught me uh, and helped me discern my own spiritual gifts and, um, and helped me step into those. Think of Tom and Paula, who helped us uh, form our min- first missional community and who have been mentors and guides for us. Um, I could list on and on and on people who have discipled me both intentional and unintentional ways. Uh, Nick and Cameron and Connor, Calvin, Jono, David, Matt has discipled me through this role and continues to disciple me intentionally and unintentionally. Because I look, I look at you, Matt, and I see you lead, and I see the way you are with your family, and that rubs off on me. And so you're discipling me. Um, I think of George Hunsberger and all my uh, seminary professors, but George Hunsberger, who actually helped me look back at the Great Commission, which brings us back to that and wonder if I've been reading it uh, wrong this whole time. Um, that the Great Commission is not so much, uh, it is an imperative, go. But it's less of a charge to go churn out these things called disciples and more of a promise. Go, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations and I will be with you always. Go is the same words that Abraham heard. We were actually just talking last night about Abraham. Who's from uh, the, that region where you are, northern Iraq? Yeah? Where, where do you say? Is that what you say? And uh, which is really interesting to think about him in that context. He came down through the Fertile Crescent. He heard God say, go. Go to the land I'm calling you to. Let's see if I have it up here. I have skipped a lot of slides, you guys. Okay. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. The promise to Abram was to go. Go, and as you go, I will make you a blessing, and I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham and Sarah were infertile. They couldn't have any children. And so the promise is not to go make the great nation. The promise is that God's going to make the great nation. And you see, Abram's life, if you walk through his journey, he has two children, and only one of them is a child of the promise of God. So Abraham dies after spending his whole life living into this promise, leaving everything behind and investing himself fully in what God had called him to. And he's got one. And God said, I will make you in a great nation. So we pick this story back up in, in Hebrews, in the New Testament, where the writer of Hebrews is, is pointing our eyes to Abraham. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going, By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old. And Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. 
Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. This one as good as dead. Kind of like the disciples. (laughs) Eleven disciples standing in front of Jesus, half of them doubting. As good as dead. But they were given a promise, just like Abraham was given, that your your children are going to be as innumerable as the sand on the seashore. And it's the same promise that Jesus gives the disciples. That as you go, actually the Greek there is uh, having gone. It's not even go. It's having gone, disciple. Make disciples. That there's a promise in there that Jesus gives. Um, And Jesus ends up with 11. Abraham ends up with one. Um, The people who discipled me, I don't think were trying to make me into a disciple. I think they were living fully in the life of Christ, soaked in the Holy Spirit, and that was just spilling out over onto me as they invited me into their life. And I have been discipled, and I will continue to disciple, which actually brings me to my next point. When Jesus says, make disciples, we, the English translation there is, make disciples. But the Greek there is, mathetusete, which comes from, remember I told you, methetes is the term for disciple. It's the verb form of that. Methete people, uh, disciple people, learn people. It's not make disciples as if we're supposed to turn out a certain number in our lifetime. It's this invitation to engage in a new lifestyle of discipling people, of learning people to Jesus. I was reading earlier this week uh, John 4. Do I have it in here? Yes, I do. So John 4, there's a royal official who comes to Jesus And Jesus seems like he's in a little bit of a sour mood, actually. But he says, my son is dying. I need you to heal him. Would you come back with me to my house? And Jesus says this. Jesus said to him, go. Just like what was said to Abraham, go. Just like what was said to the disciples uh, at Jesus' ascension, the Great Commission, go. Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. As he was going down, his slaves met him and told him that his child was alive. So in the same way that Jesus says, go, your son will be healed, your son will live, and the man isn't sure yet whether that's going to happen. It says he believed the word that Jesus spoke, but he hasn't seen it yet. And so he goes on faith into the promise that that Jesus gave him that your son will live. He lives by faith, just like Abraham does, just like the disciples do. Go on faith, and as you go, it's only as he goes that his servants come up to him and say, your son's alive. And he goes, wait, wait, what time was that? What time did you find out he was okay? And they told him, and he realized it was the same time that Jesus had spoken those words to him. But I think those disciples and we also are living in this in-between phase where we've been given this call, go and disciple people, go and make disciples, and we walk out into the world ready to make disciples, but we're not always sure. You know, just like the disciples, we're covered in doubt. And I just want to say, if you've got questions and doubts about your faith, if you've got questions that are big, too big for you to handle or questions that you feel like other people can't handle, it does not preclude you from being part of this church community. That this is a place, and it always has been a place, where those things can be held. And we can all be part of the same mission together still. I mean, it didn't preclude any of the disciples when they are standing there full of doubt. If you have doubts, if you have questions, it's okay. We are all part of this together. This is one family 
who's trying to figure out how to live on mission together. And so the call to discipleship is a call into a new posture, a new journey, not to make a certain number of disciples in your lifetime as if you could make more than Jesus, although some of us might, might have, and some of us have. Um, the call is to engage in the process, in the lifestyle of soaking yourself, discipling yourself after Jesus, and then inviting other people to follow along with you. And then Jesus says this at the very end of the Great Commission. He says, I will be with you always. And there's that promise again. I am with you always to the very end of the age, which reminds me um, of the words he speaks and are kind of echoes of the words he speaks in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's that promise again. That as you go, you're going to be my witnesses. But that's going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That these disciples are nothing on their own. They're as good as dead, just like Abraham. But filled with the power of the Spirit, they're able to go out. And it's a promise that you're going to go out. And if you're in love with me, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit... You're not going to be able to stop discipling other people. That's basically what Jesus is saying. You're going to go out and you're going to be able to witness to other people because you love me and your love is going to spill out and I'm going to use you. I will make disciples through you. So my call this morning is an invitation, just like Jesus is giving an invitation, to live into that promise of discipleship. And I want to say that I love seeing the way that we are already doing this in our ministries, in our lives, organically and organized. Um, I see Betty Jo, and she has been a rock star in discipling other people. Um, She's just consistently investing her lives into the lives of women uh, in a really organized way. She has has her method, and you should ask her about it sometime. Um, And if you've been discipled by her, you know that. Um, But she's not the only one who does that. Many of you are, in, are investing yourselves. I think of Joy. She's, uh, Joy Spaniga is as a huddle right now, and she was telling me, she sends me an email every few weeks, and she was telling me that, um, that one of the women in her huddle who's never really learned how to listen to God's voice is coming to her saying, I feel like I heard God's voice in my life, and here's what I think I want to do about it. So she's getting to walk alongside her. She's discipling other people in her life, um, coworkers, friends, people from this church. Um, last year, we started something called What's on Tap, and me and Travis Rujink with some other guys, and we got together uh, just to spend time together, and it turned into a discipleship experience. And um, Travis is now leading that, and it's, it was really cool to walk along. Uh, I, I connected with him this last week and to hear the stories of how, um, how God is just breaking through in their, their group. And Travis is not trying to make disciples out of any of these guys. Travis said um, he drives home all time from this, just in awe of what God is doing. And Travis gets to be in those guys' lives, and they get to be in each other's lives and witnessing God on the move and paying attention to it together. Um, that's discipleship happening in our church. It's a beautiful thing. Um, I think of the people who are mentoring in Kids Hope. Uh, Matt will share a little bit more about that later. But um, mentoring in Kids Hope is a way that we get into the lives of children who may not have uh, an adult who loves Jesus in their lives and may not have a positive experience with an adult in their lives. And so we get into the lives of children to rub off on them. And we have conversations. We listen. 
And there's people at this church who are doing that. It's, that's part of discipleship. That's where discipleship is happening. Um, my wife, Rachel, is running a women's huddle up in Grand Haven, and they meet every Saturday morning. And there, a lot of them are young moms, and they're discipling each other through motherhood. Um, I think of uh, Reuben and Jesse and the team with Firestarters, who's uh, discipling our youth, who's discipling high school students and junior high students, who are intentionally and consistently investing their lives in others. Um, I think of uh, David and Leslie and the team back in the—all the volunteers right now and everyone who's not serving right now in Kids Zone— um, who are intentionally investing their lives into the lives of kids. Um, sometimes it happens intentionally, but these kids are always watching um, and paying attention and learning. They're disciples. They're learning what it looks like to love Scripture, to love Jesus, to listen to the Holy Spirit, to act on basis of faith. So I just want to um, encourage you guys this morning that you are discipling other people, and that should be both uh, exciting and really scary <laughs> because people are watching. People are watching us. They're watching what we love. They're watching what we say. They're watching what we do. And what we do and what we say is all rubbing off on other people. So how are we doing that intentionally? This is my um, question. I have some notes. I actually have um, some fill-in-the-blanks that I just saved for the last. Um, is that in your notes, you guys? Yeah. So... You have something to do here. Uh, the Great Commission is a promise. Great Commission is first and foremost a promise from Jesus. It's a covenant that you have been discipled. Just like me waking up and realizing, oh my gosh, I have been discipled. God has been faithful in my life. If we don't start there, it becomes just this, uh, this hopeless project of me trying to figure out how to do this on my own. The truth is, Jesus has been discipling us. And God is breaking through in your life. He wants to speak to you. And he's using all kinds of people and events and circumstances uh, to do that. That you have been discipled. So my question right now about you having been discipled is, who has discipled you? You should write a list of the people who have discipled you. Whether the people right now who are discipling you, who are rubbing off on you, who are the people who you've learned what it means to be a Christian from? And how did they do it? How did you pick up on it? And I realized asking that question that actually some of us have not heard the good news of Jesus. There are some of us who have not been discipled, who have not had someone in their life to share with them the good news. And, um, and that's why this discipleship call is so important. It's an important call, that, uh, and it's a promise that we will disciple others. So how are we intentionally investing in the lives of others? So that's the second set of questions I'll ask you. Who, who are you discipling right now? Who are you influencing? Who is watching you? And how are you doing that? How are you entering that intentionally? Whether it's kind of an organic space, there's someone who you know you're rubbing up against at work or at home. Um, Some of us have kids who are watching us and are learning from us. Whose life are you investing yourself in? And how are you doing that? Part of my journey is trying to figure out how in the world am I going to do that? How do I enter into other people's lives in an intentional way to disciple them? If you have that question too, we have um, this class I really want to encourage you to be part of. Missional Life Workshop. It's uh, February 6th through March 6th. I want to encourage you to come because we're going to kind of break this down 
and have some, you're going to get to meet other people who are asking these questions and tell stories in your own life of where you see God breaking in. And, um, and we can make some, make some plans and grow together as disciples. But I just want to leave you with that. The Great Commission is a promise. And it's a promise you've been discipled. And it's a promise that you will disciple others. So let's um, just spend some time reflecting on that, um, answering those questions that I laid out for you. I'll invite the band up. And we'll just have a little bit of time of silence to ask those four questions. Who has discipled you? Just start writing on a list of all the people who have discipled you or who have influenced you, people you've learned how to follow Jesus from. And then how did they disciple you? What ways, what ways did you pick up on that? And then who are you discipling and how are you going to disciple others? So I'll leave you with those those questions um, just to reflect on right now, okay?